0: The sermon text today is Luke chapter 1 verses 67 through 80. There will be no Old Testament reading. Luke chapter 1 verses 67 through 80. Please turn there. Luke 1:67 And I do have some introductory remarks to make before we even come to the reading of this text. Uh, Given that this is the Sunday before Christmas, I did think it would be good to take a break from our study in 1 Timothy to set our minds upon the events surrounding the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. not only is this the Sunday before Christmas, therefore, uh, considering this theme is is appropriate, I was also preparing for the possibility of preaching at First Christian this morning. Uh, You guys know all about that possibility and so I was going to bring them a sermon that would have been appropriate uh, for their congregation, a stand-alone kind of sermon. Uh, They had some COVID cases in their congregation and needed to cancel their worship this morning and so that didn't work out. And so I decided to bring this uh, sermon to you instead. And I think it is a very important sermon, of course. Uh, It is good for us to, to give attention to the Incarnation. And to the salvation that God has brought to us in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. To consider that the eternal Son of God took on flesh to redeem us. What a marvelous thing it is. And, and with, all of the, with all of the turmoil in the world, with all of the concerns that are out there, this is a marvelous thing for us to set our attention on. Not just because Christmas is this next week, but, but to remember that, that God has redeemed us from, from sin, from bondage to Satan, from the fear of death. I can't think of a more appropriate message in fact for, for today. Our text, as I have said, is Luke one sixty seven through 67-80, and, and here in this text we find the prophecy of Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. And I'd like to give you some background before reading that text. As you may know, Zechariah uttered the prophecy of Luke one sixty seven through 67-80 after being struck with muteness for about nine months' time. So imagine that. This man, Zechariah, was mute, unable to speak for, for months. Uh, he was a priest. He saw a vision while serving the Lord in the temple in Jerusalem. The angel Gabriel appeared to him, saying in Luke 1.13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. We are to remember that she was barren, and these two were well advanced in age. And you shall call his name John. This was the message that Zechariah received from the angel Gabriel, and it was because Zechariah did not believe the report that the angel said, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, until the day that your son, John, we call him John the Baptist, is born. So what does all of this have to do with the birth of Christ? Well, a great deal. One, we know that Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, would serve as the forerunner to Christ. He was the last and the greatest of the old covenant prophets who spoke of the coming of Christ. And he had the privilege to introduce Israel to their Messiah, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Many prophets had gone before John the Baptist and they did speak of the coming Messiah. But John had this unique privilege. He was was the one who introduced Israel to to their Messiah. Here he is. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus were intimately related events. Two, here in the early chapters of Luke we learn that the miraculous conception and virgin birth of Jesus did not happen off in a dark corner somewhere involving only Mary and Joseph, but that others were also involved. Others, like this priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, were visited by an angel and touched by the Almighty, and so what happened to them helped to confirm the story of the miraculous conception and virgin birth of Jesus. I think this is important, and if you know the the story of the birth of christ you 'll know that many others were involved also. Uh, they received visions and saw signs and, and were aware they were made aware by God Almighty that indeed the Messiah was in that moment coming into the world three. And here is where I would like to focus our attention this morning. This story regarding Zechariah and the prophecy that he uttered when his son was born does help us to understand what the old covenant saints knew and what they were expecting concerning the Messiah. I think this is a fascinating subject to consider. And I wonder, have you ever thought of this before? Have you ever wondered what the faithful who lived prior to the birth of Christ, thought concerning the promised Messiah? What did they think? They knew that he would come. They had faith in him. They had faith in the Christ who was to come from their perspective. But what did they know about him? What did they expect him to be? How clearly did they see him? When you and I think about Christ, there is very little mystery. We see him with Clarity, for he has come. We have the record of his life, his works, and his words. They are recorded for us in the four gospels. But for those who lived prior to the birth of Christ, things weren't so clear. They believed that the Messiah would come, they placed their faith in the promised Messiah, but they did not know what exactly he would be. And I think to help us understand what this must have been like, we can think of the second coming of Christ. Will Christ return, brothers and sisters? You should say with total certainty, yes, He will come. Why do we know this? Because the Scriptures say that He will come again a second time to, to judge, to bring us safely into the new heavens and new earth. So He will come. And, and again, what will happen when He returns? We, we know some things. We know that He will raise the dead, that He will judge those who are not in Christ, and He will bring His people safely home So we do know some things regarding the second coming, don't we? And we know these things will surely happen because God has given us His Word. But there is also a great deal of mystery concerning the second coming of Christ from our perspective, isn't there? I hope you would admit this. What exactly will it be like when Christ returns? It's hard to know for sure. We know some things, but so much is left to our imaginations, right? When exactly will He come? We don't know. The day is is hidden from us. It's hard to say. And what will our glorified life in the new heavens and earth be like? Well, we have some idea, because God's Word does reveal some things. But it is hard, really, for us to imagine what exactly life in the new heavens and new earth will be like when Christ returns to make all things new. When will we see all of this with perfect clarity? We say, after the Lord returns. After He comes, we will have all of these questions answered and we will see all of these things with perfect clarity. And I think this is what it was like for God's people who lived prior to the birth of Christ. They knew a lot about the Messiah who was to come, for they had the Scriptures. They were sure that He would come, for God promised that He would. They knew enough about the Christ to place their faith in Him, but the details remained a mystery. When would the Christ be born? What exactly would He be like? What would He say? What would He do It was impossible for them to know for sure. Zechariah was a godly man who was living at the dawning of a new age. And not only was he alive at the time of the birth of Christ, but he found himself intimately involved. He was at the epicenter of the accomplishment of our redemption. His own son, miraculously born to him in his old age, would be the forerunner. John would be that Elijah-like figure who would prepare the way for the Christ. And so, Zechariah's prophecy is very revealing, friends. It is like a window through which we can look to see what the Old Covenant saints knew and what they expected the Messiah to be, according to the Scriptures. Zechariah was a godly man. I trust that he knew the Old Testament very well. But I cannot help but think that he went to the scriptures to study them very closely after being visited by the angel in the temple, and while being struck with muteness for those many months. Can you picture it? I get a smile on my face actually when I think about this. Uh, struck with muteness. What was that about? Well, Zechariah doubted at first, but I, I can't help but think that there was a blessing in this. It was a, it was a kind of judgment. In a way, Zechariah, because you did not believe my word, you will be in, unable to speak until the child is born. But in this judgment, there was a blessing. I can only picture Zechariah there not able to say a word, but he was left only to ponder this revelation that he had received. He was left to consider the scriptures, the scriptures that he had within himself, and maybe even to go to the to the scrolls and to open them up and to, and to read anew and afresh concerning the Messiah that was to come Here he was left to marvel at the fact that all of this was being fulfilled in his day. The day was at hand. And so now let us turn to Luke 1.67 to consider what Zechariah said after his son was born and when his tongue was finally loosed. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. The oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, speaking now to His newborn son John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it today. These are beautiful words that Zechariah uttered. And these words were indeed inspired by the Holy Spirit, just as the text says. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, etc. But here is what I want for you to see this morning. This prophecy of Zechariah is a window into the Old Testament. It is a window for those of us who live on the other side of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ to look through so that we might see clearly Christ in the Old Testament, and know for sure for certain that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Messiah promised from so long ago. This prophecy of Zechariah is jam-packed with references to the Old Testament scriptures. It's as if Zechariah had the Old Testament scriptures concerning the first coming of Christ Bottled up inside of himself and after months of muteness he under the inspiration of the Spirit just let it all out. He just let it all out in celebration. He could not wait to give glory to God for the salvation that was being accomplished in his day and before his very eyes. And so let us now consider Zechariah's prophecy in four parts. In fact, we will not consider the whole thing, only a portion of it. We will stop when he begins to address his son, John in particular. But there is a lot for us to learn in just the first half of this prophecy. First of all, notice that this prophecy was in fact a blessing directed towards the God of Israel. The first words are, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So we have a prophecy, but it is in the form of of praise. Zechariah bursts forth with, with praise after his tongue is loosed. He was moved to give praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. And why does he refer to the Lord specifically as the God of Israel? Well, it will soon become clear he is giving praise to God for the salvation that he has worked through the nation of Israel. For it was through Israel that the Christ was brought into this world. And this is exactly what Paul was referring to when he wrote Romans 9. He said, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. The worship and the promises, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so, as Paul thought about his kinsmen, according to the flesh, his fellow Israelites, he went so far as to say that if it were possible, I would be cut off to see them saved. And indeed, these people are blessed in the world. God has used them mightily. Look at what God has done through them, look at what he has entrusted to them, and consider that from them the Christ has come into the world. Zechariah blessed the Lord God of Israel because Israel was the conduit through which the Christ was brought into the world. Now remember how I said that this prophecy of Zechariah is packed full of quotations from or allusions to the Old Testament. And It is important for us to see that even this blessing is not original to Zechariah, but is itself a quotation of Scripture. It is interesting that these words, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, or words very similar to these, are found at the end of books 1, 2, and 4 of the Psalms. Are you aware of this, by the way, that we have 150 Psalms? But they are divided neatly into five books. If you are ever reading through the Psalms, pay attention to this. You will see book 1, book 2, book 3, book 4, book 5 listed there. And that is not a modern thing, that is a very old thing. This is the book of Psalms that we have received. It is a part of our canon and it is divided into five books. And I am saying to you that this phrase, and I hope that you see the significance of this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, that Zechariah uttered under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or words very similar to these, are found at the end of books 1, 2, and 4 of the Psalms. They are are a kind of concluding benediction to these books that are contained within the Psalms. Um, I think this is very significant. Uh, Zechariah uses these words uh, for a reason. Listen, for example, to how Psalm 72 which is the last psalm in book 2 of the psalms concludes Blessed be the Lord the God of Israel who alone does wondrous things blessed be his glorious name forever may the whole earth be filled with his glory amen and in amen the prayers of David the son of Jesse are ended So I think it is very significant that Zechariah uses this blessing formula, which is found in the Psalms, to give praise to God for the arrival of the Christ. It is almost as if God is signaling to us through Zechariah's prophecy that we should consider the life of Christ in light of the Psalms. In fact, that is exactly what is happening. When Zechariah blessed the Lord by quoting from Psalm 72, 18, he is urging us to go to the Psalms and to see Christ there. That is how the New Testament works, brothers and sisters. When the Old Testament is cited, not only are we to recognize that it is cited, but we're to go and we're to consider what is all around that citation to see that whatever that passage is saying, and in this case I think the entire book of Psalms, it has its fulfillment in Christ Jesus the Lord. And this phrase, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, or one similar to it, is also found in 1 Kings 148. 1 Chronicles 29.10 and Ezra 7.27. Each of these passages have something to do with God's work of redemption ultimately accomplished in Christ. But for the sake of time, I will read only 1 Kings 1:48. This is that passage where King David identifies Solomon as the heir to his throne, saying at the conclusion Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. Do you see what is going on here? Are you able to make the connection? Zechariah utters this prophecy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And and we are beginning to see that this phrase, this, this praise is... Old Testament Scripture, and if we go to every one of these places where it is found in the Old Testament, we go, wait a minute, this is significant. David used this very phrase, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, to give glory to God for the fact that he would have a son sit on his throne. What was the immediate fulfillment uh, to, to, to that phrase in David? What was David immediately giving glory to God for except his son Solomon? But there is something more significant going on here. Zechariah uses that same phrase to give glory to God for the fact that the son of David was in his day coming into the world. Christ Jesus our Lord. So really when David gave praise to God he was not ultimately giving praise to God for his son Solomon. But even for the Messiah that would be brought into the world through his descendants. The King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. So Zechariah uses the very same words to bless the Lord for the arrival of David's greater son, Jesus the Christ. Here is what I want for you to understand. When Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, not only was he blessing the Lord for the salvation that was being accomplished in his day, He was also directing our minds to all of those places in the Old Testament where that phrase is found so that we might go there and consider what those passages have to teach us regarding the coming of the Messiah. His prophecy is like a window into the Old Testament. Through it we see how Zechariah understood the Psalms. Through it we see how Zechariah understood passages like 1 Kings 1, 1 Chronicles 29, and Ezra 7. He saw Christ there in the form of promise. And he knew that those prophecies concerning the Christ were being fulfilled before his very eyes. And so he gave all glory to God in this way. He gave blessing to God, to the God of Israel. And the rest of the prophecy will demonstrate this even more so. Secondly, notice that Zechariah blessed the God of Israel for visiting and redeeming His people. That is what he says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. When you hear the word visited and redeemed, what do you think of? If I'm to direct your minds to the Old Testament, what event in the history of redemption that do you think of? And, and I hope the answer is the Exodus When Zechariah used the terms visited and redeemed, it was to draw our minds to the Exodus event. We are to remember how God visited and redeemed Israel from from bondage in Egypt. When Moses first came into Egypt, after being called by God in the burning bush to accomplish redemption for the Hebrews, he and Aaron at first met with the elders of Israel to tell them of the word they had received from the Lord. What an exciting meeting that must have been. Here come Moses and Aaron. They meet with the elders or the leaders of Israel to give them the news. And the scriptures tell us how the elders of Israel responded. They believed, Exodus 4.31 tells us. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So the language of visitation is central to the whole Exodus event. God visited His people in those days. He visited His people in order to bring them out of bondage, to accomplish redemption for them, to free them from their slavery and to lead them into the land of promise. So at the time of the Exodus, this language was common. Visitation, redemption. And we know that the Exodus event was a foretaste and picture of the greater act of deliverance that Christ would accomplish for His people. The prophets of the Old Testament spoke of this greater act of redemption to be accomplished by a Redeemer greater than Moses. Consider Isaiah 59.20 which says, "...and a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord." So we are to see that the old covenant saints, the people of God who lived in that age prior to the birth of Christ, they lived with this constant expectation. Moses was a great Redeemer, but a greater Redeemer is going to come. God visited His people in the days of the Exodus to free them from Egypt, but God is going to visit His people again. And so when Zechariah declares that the Redeemer has come, or that God was visiting and redeeming his people in this very moment. Uh, he, he was declaring uh, to all who heard him in that moment that this redeemer has come. He was in the womb of the Virgin Mary at that very moment, and he gave thanks to God for visiting and his and redeeming his people before his very eyes. Thirdly, Zechariah blessed God for providing salvation in the line of David. Look at verse 69. There Zechariah declares that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. Who is this David that Zechariah refers to? You should know that it is King David, the greatest of Israel's kings. David was the king that God made a covenant with. And you could read all about that covenant in 2 Samuel 7. In brief... God promised to give David a son and to establish his kingdom forever. As 2 Samuel 7.13 says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This promise was immediately fulfilled through David's son, Solomon. Solomon would have the throne after David, and Solomon would be the one to construct the temple or house of the Lord, But this promise made to David was obviously bigger than Solomon, for Solomon's kingdom would come to an end. Instead, the promise made to David regarding an everlasting kingdom and a son who would reign forever and ever was really about the Christ. And Zechariah knew this, and that is why he gave glory to God regarding the news that the Messiah was at hand. He blessed the Lord God of Israel for visiting and redeeming His people and for raising up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. As I have said, Zechariah's prophecy is packed full of Old Testament allusions and quotations. It's It's as if every little word and phrase is meant to send us back into the Old Testament to see Christ there in the form of prophecies and promises, types and shadows. And the phrase, Horn of Salvation, does this. The horn is a symbol of power and strength. And when Zechariah gives praise to God for raising up a horn of salvation, he is thanking God for his provision of a strong king who would rescue his people and judge all his enemies. And the phrase, Horn of Salvation, does remind us of, of certain prophecies that pointed forward to the arrival of a strong and anointed king who would do this very thing. And I want for you to consider the prayer of Hannah as she gave up her son Samuel to the Lord's service. She said, among other things, listen now to 1 Samuel 2.10, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This was the the prayer of, of, of Hannah, who was the mother of, of Samuel. If you were to take the time to reflect upon this, I think you would marvel at it. What a, what a marvelous thing. Hannah uttered these words before there was ever a king in Israel. Before there was ever a king in Israel, she said he will give strength to his king and exalt, exalt the horn of his anointed In fact, it would be her son, Samuel, who would anoint David as king years later. And in her prayer, she rejoiced in the salvation of the Lord and said that God would exalt the horn of His anointed. It is marvelous to consider the faith of this woman, Hannah. Her prayer would be fulfilled in part with the anointed of King David, but it would be fulfilled fully and finally in Christ, who is the Messiah, that is the Lord's anointed one. And when Zechariah blessed God for raising up this horn of salvation, he was indicating that this prophecy of Hannah was being fulfilled in his day. The Messiah, or anointed one, was at hand. His horn was being exalted in that moment so that he might accomplish our salvation. And let us also consider Psalm 132, 11 through 18. In this psalm of ascents, we read, and this psalm really does kind of bring it all together. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion He has desired it for His dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints with shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. That is Psalm 132, verses 11 through 18. Do you hear how this prophecy that Zechariah uttered is so jam-packed full of of prophecies and predictions, John, from the Old Testament? It is a window into the Old Testament through which we might look and see the Christ there. Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was giving glory to God. But in that moment, as he prophesied, he was saying all of these things that have been promised for so long ago are being fulfilled before our very eyes marvelous to consider. He gives glory to the God of Israel who said, I will make a horn, of, horn to sprout for David who had prepared a lamp for his anointed. Fourthly and lastly, Zechariah blessed God for keeping the promises that he had made to Abraham. In verse 72 of, of Luke 1 we read, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Again, this is marvelous. I wonder if you can see how familiar Zachariah was with the Old Testament Scriptures. I wonder if you could see how clearly he saw the Christ in them. He knew that what God was doing in His day was in fulfillment to the promises made to David and to Moses, as we have already said, but also It was in fulfillment to the promises made to Father Abraham, who lived even before they lived. It was not long ago that we finished our study through the book of Genesis. And so I will not rehearse for you in detail the promises made to Abraham. You could read all about those promises in Genesis 12 and following. But do remember this, God promised to bless the nations through Abraham. He promised to give Abraham a son, and though Isaac was born to him in his old age, he was not the son who would bless the nations. No, it would be the Messiah who would do that, Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. Hear the word of the Lord spoken to Abraham in Genesis twenty-two, sixteen 16 through 18. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, the arrival of Christ Jesus our Lord. This promise made to Abraham echoed down the corridors of the history of redemption, being amplified in the days of Moses and in the days of David, being finally fulfilled in the coming of Jesus the Christ. And here we see that Zechariah saw the dawning of that day and he blessed the Lord God of Israel. He knew that the Redeemer was at hand who would deliver us from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Notice that this was the purpose, brothers and sisters, for the coming of the Christ, to to redeem us from all of our enemies, not Egypt, but the evil, evil one Himself, sin and death, so that we might serve Him, so that we might fear Him. So that we might live in holiness before him and righteousness. Uh, This was the purpose for the coming of the Christ. To rescue us so that we might be his and live for his glory. Zechariah's own son would be the prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord. And in this he rejoiced. I think you can uh, now see clearly why I have said that the prophecy of Zechariah is a window into the Old Testament. So much more could have been said. Indeed, uh, there would be more places for us to go in the Old Testament if we had uh, the time, and we could even continue on in the passage where Zechariah addresses his own son and, and show that even that portion of the prophecy is packed, filled with uh, allusions to the Old Testament. Zechariah's prophecy does also help us to know that, uh, what, what the old covenant saints knew concerning the coming Savior. Isn't that interesting to consider? Zechariah... Uh, was indeed standing at at, at the divide. He was witnessing the dawning of this new day. And and so I am not claiming that all of God's people who lived before the birth of Christ understood what Zechariah understood. After all, he did live very late in the Old Covenant era. He did receive this special vision. He was visited by the angel Gabriel. And after all, he did have months of silence, being unable to speak to search the scriptures carefully or at least to reflect upon the scriptures he already knew and so it very may may well be that Zechariah had an unusually clear understanding of Christ from the scriptures nevertheless we do see what the old testament saints had access to they knew that the god of israel would visit and redeem his people again that he would raise up a savior in the line of david and a son from abraham's offspring and this son would deliver us from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days they they knew this and they lived with this constant expectation how blessed zechariah was to see that day and how blessed we are to look back upon it and to rejoice in it and so let me ask you by way of conclusion do you know the old testament scriptures do you know them I think this is a very fine application to this sermon. Do you know the Old Testament Scriptures? Do you see Christ there as Zechariah did? Yes, we live under the New Covenant, and we have the New Testament Scriptures, which are indeed a very great blessing. But it is vitally important that we read and understand the Old Testament. We must read the Old Testament Scriptures, and we must seek to understand them. We must remember that Christ came in fulfillment to promises made long ago. And if we wish to understand why Christ came and what He came to accomplish to the Old Testament Scriptures, we must go. It is not good for Christians to neglect the Old Testament Scriptures, for they function as a kind of backdrop against which we are able to understand the Christ. Without them, we do not see Christ so clearly. So perhaps I could urge you, brothers and sisters, to make it your resolve to, in the New Year, read the Old Testament Scriptures. I might even remind you of that Bible reading plan that we put before you every single year. It's there for you on the homepage of our website, updated weekly. And in that Bible reading plan, if you stick to it, you will read through the Psalms twice. You will read through the rest of the Old Testament once. You'll read through the New Testament twice in the course of year. It's a lot of reading But every year I do exhort you to to follow that plan and, and to devour the scriptures, to grow familiar with what is there so that we might understand both testaments and so that we might learn to see Christ in the Old Testament. It is very important that we do this. Secondly, let me ask you this. Do you rejoice at the thought of Christ's first coming and the accomplishment of our redemption as Zechariah did in his day. I mean, you're reading this passage here in Luke chapter 1, and you can just imagine Zechariah being unable to speak, and you can almost feel everything that was bottled up within him, can't you? And then finally, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he lets it all out. He gives glory to God. He is so excited that redemption is going to be accomplished in his day, and his son is going to be used by the Lord in the accomplishment of that redemption, to prepare the way for the Messiah. And I am saying to you, that although we live 2,000 years removed from the accomplishment of our redemption, and though we did not experience what Zechariah experienced, that is to see the angel Gabriel in the temple, what a marvelous thing that must have been. We should still have this sense of excitement, this sense of gratitude for what the Lord has done. The Lord has visited and redeemed His people. And we should rejoice in that fact. Each and every Lord's Day as we come to assemble with God's people, we should rejoice at the fact that God has visited and redeemed His people. After all, remember how the Israelites were to celebrate the fact that God had visited them and redeemed them from Egypt. Year after year, they were to celebrate that Passover feast. And they were to go up regularly to the temple to give worship to God. They were to rest and worship one day out of seven, just as we are to this very day They were to celebrate their redemption. But we, even more so, now that the one greater than Moses has come, and now that this greater act of redemption has been accomplished, we must come before the Lord each and every Lord's Day, eager to bless the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. He has fulfilled all those promises made to the fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those promises which have echoed down through the corridors of the history of redemption. Thirdly, I might ask you, are you living now in the freedom that Christ has earned for you? First of all, are you trusting in Him, and do you have that freedom? If we have faith in Christ, we have been set free from bondage. But are you living now in the freedom that Christ has earned for you? Why did Christ come Why did He come? Well, for many reasons, but certainly we must say, to redeem us. And according to Zechariah, He redeemed us so that we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Having been set free by Christ, we are now to serve Him. We are to walk worthy before Him. We are to live holy lives. We are to live righteous lives before Him. All of our days. Brothers and sisters, God has redeemed us in Christ. He has freed us from bondage to sin and Satan so that we might serve Him, so that we might walk before Him in holiness and righteousness all our days. This is the thought that I will leave you with this morning. Our God is merciful and kind. What a gift He has given to us in Christ the Lord. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word Um, What a marvelous thing it is uh, to see how the Old and the New Testaments fit together, to see the promise of the gospel that was uttered even from the earliest days after the fall, and to see how that promise was maintained and amplified and clarified throughout history being fulfilled in Christ. This gives us confidence, Lord. We know that Christ, Jesus Christ, did not just appear on the scene one day and declare Himself to be the Messiah, but indeed He came in fulfillment to the Scriptures. This gives us confidence. And I pray, Lord, that You would help us to look to Him, to trust in Him alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And having done so, Lord, strengthen us so that we might walk worthy before You, so that we might serve You faithfully all the days of our life. God, we bless you and we thank you for visiting us and for redeeming us by your grace. In the name of Christ we say these things. Amen.